everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 28 of the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are okay. I'm fighting a really, really bad rash. Yeah, I got some... I ended up covered in mosquito bites last night because I was out helping my grandpa put together a new bike for my mom, so I'm itching all over the place. Oh, I was I was just kidding about the rash. <laughs> but uh, that's sad. That sucks for you. Yeah, I think I've got like at least seven or eight mosquito bites. It's not a fun experience. Yeah. Actually, um, my doctor told me that I'm actually allergic to mosquito bites. I think I am too, but I mean, other than just a little bit more of a larger bump and more itch than normal, I don't think I've ever really paid any attention to it. Yeah, my I, my welts get probably anywhere from a quarter to a silver dollar size, and uh, they itch like crazy and uh, get infected really easily. Yeah, I've never got any of mine infected. Most of them are usually dimed a quarter size, though, but it's not fun. I didn't even realize they were even really out this year. I when it was just kind of last night when we finished up, I thought it was ants flying around because we have a real ant problem around here, but apparently it ended up being mosquitoes, which, had I known, I would have at least used some spray. Mm. Yeah, mosquitoes are evil. Did you know that only the females bite? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, which apparently there must be a lot of females around here. Yeah, you and the ladies, man. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> but speaking of ladies, might as well go ahead and jump right in to our first story, which, of course, everybody can follow along in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. And, oh, also check out the blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog. I've also got something rather big that I'm beyond hopefully coming out with this week. I'll talk about that more at the end of the show. Anyway, on to our first story. Pixar grants a girl's dying wish to see the movie Up. This is a little bit of a sad story. Actually, it's a lot of a sad story. There's a 10-year-old girl, apparently by the name of Colby Curtin, that was dying of terminal vascular cancer. And apparently she told her mom that her dying wish was to see the new movie Up from Pixar, which she couldn't see in theaters because of her condition. Well, apparently Colby's family called Pixar and Pixar immediately flew out to her hospital with a DVD, toys and a poster so that she could watch it in her hospital and apparently her she had she was in so much pain and everything that she had to keep her eyes closed through the entire movie that her mother pretty much gave the play-by-play for the film mm-hmm. and this was essentially her last wish because she died later on that evening yeah, this is so sad that it's um, it's really nothing to joke about, but um, I just might because that's the kind of guy I am. But <laughs> uh, but seriously, I mean, it's a really, really sad situation and probably a really awkward situation for the employee that was charged to deliver um, this young lady's uh, last wish. And, and knowing that you're going to see someone die is probably or is dying, it's probably something that's probably hard to do, especially when you're working for a company like Pixar. Yeah, this is... I'm 
amazed that there would be a company like Pixar that would do this, that would send, that would fly an employee out to wherever this girl was, which I don't remember it saying, um, with a DVD and everything, to so that she could see the movie. The fact that they even sent it, even let her watch it on DVD when it was still in theaters or whatever kind of surprises me, considering this is Hollywood we're talking about. Yeah. I'm, I was a little surprised they actually had it on DVD, um, that they've already had that mastered. Uh, I'm guessing it was some sort of... Uh, uh, some sort of local copy or something. They probably just burned it to send it out to him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I wonder, I mean, I'm guessing that he had to be present the whole entire time just to make sure nothing happened to the movie. And yeah. so he probably witnessed this whole action. Yeah, I would assume so. I don't know if he would stay into the night when she passed away, but probably at least long enough for the movie to finish, at least, and then take the movie back to headquarters or whatever. But, yeah, I figured out we'd lead off with a sad story, but major props to Pixar for doing something like this. This is pretty cool. Right. Speaking of dead formats. No, that's... <laughs> well, speaking of dead, maybe, but... <laughs> you know, I probably shouldn't make much jokes about that, but then again, I've been watching a lot of George Carlin lately, so that might explain it. Yeah, we're all going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, apparently a poll finds that physical media is dying and that HD DVD is as popular as Blu-ray. Or so says the headline, which by doing the math, I can't quite get there. Yeah, it seems like there's still about a, uh, what, 3% deficit? But still, it's surprising if you look at the numbers of 2009 of how many people still have uh, HD DVDs. But I guess, I mean, there's no reason to throw them away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when they they make it sound like HD DVD is just as popular as Blu-ray, largely because it's essentially like a fire sale item, and they're pretty much in bargain bins for really cheap and everything now. Right. Assuming you can still get them anywhere other than, like, eBay or whatever. But uh, the math doesn't quite add up. I mean, essentially, when you combine the Sony PS3 owners with people who own a Blu-ray disc player, which I would assume that includes a standalone player plus what you, what you can put into a PC and whatnot, that mm-hmm. essentially makes for 16%, whereas if you talk HD DVD player owners plus the people that own the HD DVD drive for the 360, that's only 14%. Right, but if you look at the numbers from 2008 to 2009, and keep in mind we're not done with 2009... Mm-hmm. Um, that they said that an external HD DVD player almost doubled from 6% to 11%, and the external HD DVD drive for the Xbox 360 tripled from 1% to 3%. Now, I can kind of understand about the HD DVD player, because I think right after the demise of the HD DVD format, a lot of them were minimized as in being HD DVD players and rebranded as upscale DVD players. Um, so I can see how that went up, but the, the jump for the external drive for an Xbox 360, I see no reason for that attachment rate. Yeah, I think that probably had to do with clearing out inventory, and plus a lot of people were like selling what they had and, on eBay and just never really used it. I know my I've got the HD DVD attachment for the 360, and I used it a grand total of one time. Right, but would you buy it this year? Would you have bought it this year? No. 
Yeah, who would? I mean, considering how cheap the movies are, I would consider it, but mm. with the fact that I have Netflix and just do a Blu-ray off of that for my PS3 anyway, it, it there's no real reason for me to. It's true, that's true. But yeah, that, that kind of surprises me. What surprises me even more is that apparently 83% of people have a DVD device. I honestly figured that would have been much higher. Well, it says net, so yeah. is that... Uh, well, you would think that would have to include like DVD players. Like gaming, game console. Yeah, I, I would think that would include DVD players, game consoles, uh, drives inside of computers and everything. That's where I honestly would have figured that would have been north of 90%. Right. Well, it is for 75k and above, and um, but you think 75k and above, they would it would be 100%. Yeah. Well, and when you when it shows that just the, just people who own uh, desktop computers is 81 percent, and there's a whole two percent difference there, so yeah, and it, that one just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But a lot of these numbers are fairly interesting, worth checking out. Like apparently, 22 percent of people have a PS2, whereas 21 percent have a Wii. Yeah. And only nine percent of people have a PS3, compared to thirty. Yeah, did you see? Did you see that in the um, lower end income brackets for the PlayStation Two, that um, you you see a higher percentage of owners are in the lower pay rate uh, or rate, rate range than the higher pay range? Like if you look at the very very bottom and the very very top, yeah, there's still more at the bottom. Yeah, that actually makes quite a bit of sense, especially considering the fact that the PS2 recently dropped to, I think it's $99 now, and mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to be in the higher brackets, like the 75k or whatever, you're going to be able to afford something like a Wii or a 360 or a PS3, so that that kind of makes sense, because right now PS2 is pretty much on its way out. I, I think, I don't know how much is left in its 10-year life cycle, I think it may have another year or two or something like that left to go, but I mean, with as cheap as it is, it's almost like the poor man's console at this point. But what would it imply? Because this is people who own it, mm-hmm. not people who bought it. Mm-hmm. Which, um, for if we're if we're looking at the numbers on this table, so that would mean that most likely the people in the higher end got rid of their console and no longer have it. Not that they never had it in the first place. True. Which was um, so, but but that's that's kind of strange that someone would actually get rid of their older technology. But I, I wonder if that's what they're saying about this higher end um, bracket. Yeah, it could be. I think there could be a little bit of a tie-in there, and that a lot of those people, assuming you're in the 75k plus a year bracket, there. Um, would probably be ones that would be largely early adopters of something like the PS3 back when it was when it had like the 60 gigabyte version when it had the built-in PS2 emulation via the motion chip or even the 80 gig version where it had the software emulation before they for whatever idiotic reason decided to take that out right so I, I think that could be a little bit of what's going on there yeah well, it looks like this, the sweet spot in all these income ranges is the $50,000 to $75,000. That's where the biggest 
chunk of the percentages uh, lay for the 360, the PlayStation 2, the PlayStation 3, and the Wii. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me a whole lot. I, I think if you're getting one of those consoles, you're probably going to be in that bracket rather than north of it, in which case you're probably spending your time doing other more ritzier things. Right, jet-setting. Yeah. Hey, I would. But, yeah. I don't know, it doesn't include any uh, um, handheld devices like a DS or anything like that, so who knows where something like that falls into this. Right, or the PSP. Right. But speaking of gaming and whatnot, apparently GameStop is betting on did the on the fact that digital distribution is far far away. And that's funny because the previous story is just saying how um, the newest digital the newest uh, distribution the current distribution method for high definition uh, movies is Blu-ray and it's not seeming to catch on. So it, um, they don't think it's far it's far away, but it sounds like it's it's time is nigh. Yeah, I've got a feeling it's time to replace the CEOs or whatever at GameStop, because apparently they must be running with a bunch of idiots at the helm. But apparently they seem to think that digital distribution is far and away. They're saying that people won't have the technology to download games directly until 2014. But I'm sorry to say that people have had this technology, or at least people that use Steam have had it for many years, not to mention the fact that the PS3, the 360, and even the Wii, you can download games on it at any time. Right, even handhold handheld consoles like the DSi um, and the PSP, especially the PSP1, um, and their projection is 2014, which they said it's far away, but to a company, they should be thinking uh, five and six years ahead. So I think their answer is it's far, far away means they have no plan B. Yeah. Well, they do have a small digital download service. It's nothing fantastic. I think think I've actually... Was it them that I used once, or was it Filefront? Or whatever it was called. Um, Yeah, I don't think it was them that I used, but they have a digital download service, but it doesn't really have any of the major games. It seems to be more casual games that nobody's heard of. I mean, the only game that I ever heard of when I went looking for games on there was uh, an expansion to Command & Conquer Red Alert 3, which suddenly I can't think of the name of that. Well, the thing is with the digital downloads in the future, at least for the, the closed system, the popular consoles anyway... Um, most of those stores are proprietary, so you can't just download something and play it on your console. You would have to go to the Microsoft store, uh, or you have to go to the uh, the Sony store, uh, or you have to go to the Nintendo store. So even if they wanted to start offering games as a download, they couldn't use their own store, at least not without um, a hack or for supporting um, maybe uh, PC games, something that's more open. Um, to compete, but then, you know, the lights of, of Steam, they're going to have to compete with them in some way. Or they could relegate themselves to like something like a PopCap Games and stick with the casual gaming market, which doesn't really seem like it's been their demographic. Um, whatever they're going to do, they probably should start trying to do it now as uh, it develops the download, the, the digital distribution. They should at least make themselves... Um, 
familiar with the emerging market and uh, not try to figure it out five years from now. Yeah, I think one of their big issues is the fact that they never is that they have occasional sales, but it's nothing real spectacular. Which, and I think we covered a story some months ago about the fact that um, Steam would be selling games really well because when they go on sale, sales go through the roof of those games. Right. Because they they discount them heavily. I mean, what was it the end of the end of the year, I think it was like the last week of 2008, they had a sale going where pretty much every game I think was like between 30 and like 90% off or something like that. That's where you could get old games like a, like a, I think it was like a Duke Nukem or something like that for all in 99 cents. And I mean, when they did that, I think I bought games and expansion packs, I think I bought like two dozen, something like that. And, and if GameSpot or GameStop would do that, that would be something I would really be interested in. I mean, I enjoy going into GameStop just because the guys in there are always a joy to talk to and everything. But all, but when you're discounting a price that much, you can't compete with that. Yeah, they're going to have to expand out into uh, another business model or dump the whole games completely. Be like uh, Core is doing Prohibition. Just keep the name, but reinvent yourself and do something totally different. Yeah, they've got to do something quick, otherwise they're going to be the, like the next blockbuster. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> Did you see their advertisement that they're saying game? Oh, sorry, movie rentals for one night three dollars, one dollar every additional night, or five nights for five dollars? I was looking at that and I was like, why would someone do that? Why wouldn't someone just go to Redbox? You don't have to talk to a person. You reserve it online, and it's a dollar a day instead of three dollars for the for one day. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Not something I would do. But then again, I'm a Netflix customer, and I pay a flat rate for keeping a movie as long as I want, or getting as many movies as I want during a month. So, it for someone like me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially if you're, and if they're looking to try and get back some customers from Netflix, that's certainly not the way to go about doing it. Definitely not. Um, and speaking of people who don't have easy access to things they pay for. Yeah, this kind of surprised me as a Kindle owner myself. Apparently, there's some issues with the DRM Kindle that have surfaced apparently over the weekend. I guess there's some books that are restricted by the publisher for being able to download um, multiple numbers of times to your Kindle. So, essentially with the Kindle, you're supposed to be allowed to, for as many times as you want, be able to tran- to download a book that you've bought from uh, Amazon to your Kindle. Well, apparently... That's so it's thought, yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently, there was somebody over the weekend that discovered this wasn't quite the case. And when they weren't able to transfer it, they got a hold of Amazon's support people, and apparently there's some kind of deal with publishers where the publishers get to say okay, if we don't want this book to be downloaded more than X amount of times, we can set that restriction. Which kind of seems a little bit unfair to me, but maybe that's just me and I'm and again, I am a Kindle owner. So So what that means is if you want to switch devices, like use uh, transfer it to your iPhone 
or your Kindle breaks and you want to switch to a new Kindle, or you just got the Kindle DX and instead of reading it on your Kindle 2, you want to read it there, or some other reason um, that, that, you, that you might be restricted. Yeah. Well, and apparently, supposedly there's nothing that they can do about it, and there's no way that you can necessarily find out the limit of how many times you can transfer it unless you hit that limit. Although, if you're getting it and upgrading to a new device, like from the Kindle 1 to the Kindle 2, I'm not sure that there's that issue, because they, in the past, have always promised that everything from your Kindle to your Kindle 2 would transfer without a problem. So that could, so something like that could be a special situation. Could be, but if the publisher has made these restrictions in advance, um, who's to say? Um, I mean, because if you move it from device to device, it's to say, is this device considered a Kindle? Then, then uh, allow a free pass or what? I mean, what about the Kindle, the Amazon Reader on the iPhone? Is that considered a Kindle? I, I I'm not sure about that. I don't know. It sounds like this is like like a flag that they can set, kind of like um, a few months ago when the Kindle Two came out and there was the whole big blow up over the fact that some of the publishers didn't want their books to be able to be read by the text to speech I think this is I think it's a similar kind of flag that can just be set on the fly so it may not necessarily be something that when you have to buy it or whatever that it can just be set whenever yeah this just needs to happen to Oprah once for her to be pissed off about it yeah her she's the biggest proponent and she is somewhat text heavy but not the most text heavy person in the world so mm-hmm. when she hits this she's gonna say why isn't this working why isn't this working? And then um, I think that's going to be a little portrayal, and she's going to say, hey, I saw this problem. Anybody else having it? And it's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. Yeah. Well, I don't think a lot of people are would actually end up running into this just because if you got the Kindle 2, and I'm looking up the exact number right now if the Amazon page would like to hurry up, but you can essentially hold, like, want to say it's um, 1500 books on just the Kindle 2 and I think the Kindle DX you can even put more on it than that but really over the life of the device you don't there's no real expectation of actually having that many books that you need to go back and delete some of the books to have to put on on a later date you can just keep them all on there well it's not the how many books you have it's how many devices you have so let's say going back to the oprah example she has one in her her villa in the keys she has one in chicago in the studio and she has one in her private jet Mm -hmm. and she's like i want to finish read that book and she transfers the book over and then she transfers it back and then she transfers it back and back back and back and then she's over her transfer limit yeah yeah well and again i don't think that'll be much in the way of the average person because i don't think most people would have more than one Kindle for that matter, unless if mm. it's unless they have the Kindle app on the iPhone and count that as a second Kindle. Right. Or your Oprah and they give you 50 for free or right. something like that. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see how this turns out. I'd like to hear a uh, comment from Jeff Bezos on this and if they're actually going to have an actual policy where it'll um, you can find out just how many times you can download it to your Kindle or whatever, which... I think I think at least you should do that much. I mean, you may not 
be able to do anything about it because of any agreements with the publishers, but at least say how many times you can download it. Right. This is kind of like the App Store for the iPhone and how people don't know what's going to be accepted and what's rejected because it's 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 flexible. It's too flexible, and it's not set in stone. People don't know um, what it is in black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of that, I thought I saw something over like I think it was over the weekend or on Friday. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure it was over the weekend where some guy got all the licenses to I don't know I think it was like the Commodore 64 or something like that to have it legally on the iPhone and yet Apple shot it down saying that apparently it used some kind of like external library or something like that that he wasn't allowed to use or whatever even though a number of other apps do and still manage to get into the App Store. I think that has to do with emulators. Mm-hmm. I think some emulator. I think emulators in general are not allowed. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I think they are. I think I've seen other emulators before. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the way they went about it. But considering the fact that the guy went through and got all the license agreements and everything, that you'd think that that would be a little bit more acceptable for him. No, because like, what if uh, Microsoft had the license agreement for Internet Explorer? <laughs> they wouldn't let them put that on the iPhone. Yeah, true. Well, who knows? I that was it was just a story I barely happened to skim over over the weekend. Yeah, but, and if they did put it on the iPhone, most likely someone would download it, use it, and then forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of apps on the App Store. Or in the in the Android marketplace, apparently Android users are more dedicated to their apps than iPhone users. Yeah, there's a smaller number of apps that are available for the Android, uh, 5,000 as opposed to 50,000, and uh, they're saying that that I guess uh, that that makes uh, the users more attached to their applications because they can't just drop it and get another one. Also, I think uh, they're saying that the people are who use Android are more tech savvy and are more prone to put up with a, a little flake, a flakier app than someone on an iPhone. Yeah, I'm not sure if, if I go much for that one. I mean, I don't, me personally, I don't care what platform an app is on. If it's a piece of crap, I'm going to call it a piece of crap. I mean, I'm not going to cut it any slack just because it's on a smaller platform or anything. Right, but you would still use it if there were no other alternatives. Yeah, if there were no other alternatives, I would probably, I would most likely either still use it or make one myself, which I'm in the process of making some applications, which I don't know if it'll, if I'll try and get something out this week, but maybe in the next week or so or two, something like that, maybe I'll get my own some applications on the Android marketplace. So more news to that to come. Yeah, I, I, I can see how this would work. Like, if you need a really good calculator, and there's only one really good calculator, but it crashes every time, every fourth time you use it, I would put up with it if there's no other choice. Um, and with 5,000 ads, I would say there's probably, what, maybe two or three alternatives for any one genre. So, yeah, yeah I can see how this makes sense. Yeah, well, part of it, I think, is the fact that um, right now, Android is essentially on... One, well, I guess it's like maybe two, two or three phones. I mean, one is the one that's generally available, which is the G1 from T-Mobile. 
Then there was one that they gave out at the Android Development Conference or whatever that Google ran a month ago, which I I can't remember what that phone was called. HTC something or other. Like Magic? Mm, it could be. I'm not real sure. Plus another uh, new one was announced late last night, but there's that for T-Mobile that's supposed to be coming in sometime this fall. I think it was like September or October, but. I think that once the um, Android gets gets more adoption and there's it's on a larger number of phones, that I think it'll be more of a viable platform. You'll find a whole lot more apps. Hello. Sorry about that. Oh. I I accidentally hit the um, mic mute on the inline part of my the microphone. Okay. I, I agree, um, but it's going to be hard. You know, it's a chicken and the egg thing. Like, what's going to come first, users, or is it going to be developers? And um, I, I, I think Android is still going to be a niche device, and it's, n- it's never going to um, be able to play with the big dogs, but I think it's always going to be there, kind of like Firefox with IE. Uh, Firefox is hugely popular, you would think, but it's still um, dwarfed by the amount of downloads and user base of IE. And I, I think um, Android is going to fit in that space. Well, I think it's partially going to depend on price point, too. I, I think once we start seeing Android coming out on more phones and preferably cheaper phones, then I think that we'll start to see more adoption on it. I, if I remember correctly, I think I saw that the... T-Mobile G1 was reduced by $20 in price in the last week or two, but even then I think it's like 159 or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to look that up. But I, I think if... I think once they have like a sub $100 phone, then I think you could really see it to start to catch on. I don't know. Like, let's say they were both free. Both free phones. The, the iPhone and uh, the Android phone. Um, who would choose the Android phone over the iPhone? Do you think you know that the the Android would win most of that time? Uh, I think it depends on what kind of carrier you want to go with. And if you're willing to get stuck with AT and T, then I would say you'd probably go for the iPhone. Me personally, I would still go for the Android phone no matter what. But mm-hmm. I I think that I think it mainly comes down to what carrier you want to deal with. Do you want to deal with AT&T and their crappy network or would you be willing to go pretty much on any other network? Or you could yeah, always I would... go with Sprint and just get a Palm Pre. I think you have to look at the sophistication of the, the user. How sophisticated they are and tech savvy because um, I bet Android is still of what is that with the, annual, with the usual consumer. When, when there's a new Android device that comes out, you don't see that on the nightly news, the 10 o'clock news. But when there is a new iPhone that comes out, you see it there. So I think for the, for the general public, I think Apple still has the mind share. And, and, and until Android can encroach on that, I think um, it's, it's going to stay the, the same way for a while. Yeah, that's one of the things that, things that bugs me about Apple is that they get all the media attention 
yet they put out probably the fewest number of products compared to everybody else. Yes, and usually more expensive with less feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that really bugs me about Apple more than most. But Yeah, well, uh, they're a UI company, mm-hmm. and as long as they can uh, showcase that on different products... There's, there. That's what people want. They want good experiences, and um, and they 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 buy into that good experience and uh, take it to the bank every single time with every time they come out with a new device. Yeah. And speaking of going to the bank, apparently Activision Blizzard wants to go to the bank a little bit more often, but apparently they don't think they're able to because of Sony. Yeah, they're saying that the PS3 is less attractive than the Wii and the Xbox 360s, and 360, and they kind of put a veil threat that's saying they might pull out of the platform if uh, Sony doesn't reduce uh, their licensing, their royalty costs, and uh, if they don't lower the price of the PS3. Yeah, Activision Blizzard, I believe, is the um, largest game publisher now since they combined with EA being at number two. And apparently, in just last year, Activision paid uh, Sony a half a half a billion dollars in royalties and other goods last year. So they're wanting to reduce license fees, I would assume reduce the cost of development kits, as well as they're hoping for a PS3 price cut so that there are more PS3s to go around. Which, why they would pull out of the PSP because the PS3, I'm not real sure I understand that part. But the whole thing to me seems stupid. Because a lot of publishers are always complaining about, well, especially third-party publishers, and that, well, we can't really make money on putting games on one system, or even two systems. We have to make it available for everything. So we have to have a game that's on the 360, the Wii, the PS3, the PSP, the DS, you name it. So for them to pull out of something like this, it it seems like it would be kind of shooting themselves in the foot. Well, they're saying that, um, I think part of the issue is that we talked about this previously, that the PS3 is harder to write for than a mature system like the 360. And so um, do you think that if they just dropped one console, they could make more games? as opposed to spinning the cycles of the developers, making sure they re-encode it or recode it for an alternate platform. Um, maybe that's the reason why we were talking about before, about uh, there's still headroom in the PS3, but uh, the 360 is maxed out. Do you think people are... I, I, I doubt people are going from scratch on the PS3. I think they're just translations of the other variants, like the 360 version. Yeah, from any game that I've played, that's essentially just a translation or whatever. I, I Last week I got the new Ghostbusters game for the PS3, and from what I hear, it's basically the exact same thing on the 360. And I think it's... And I think the same for the Wii, except the graphics are turned way down on the Wii. Mm-hmm. And, and even the PC, although the PC lacks the multiplayer. Anyway, that's off on a whole other tangent. But, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem to be that much of an issue, and if they're already running out of room, if they've hit the ceiling on the 360, if you're going to make bigger and better games, the only place that you can go right now is the PS3, or at least until a new 360 comes out, which, rumor has it, that could be next year, 
although Microsoft seems to be retracting that statement that Steve Ballmer made last week. Right. Well, I think PS3, they need to work on their tools. If their tools were better and it was easier to program for, or easier to translate, let's say, a 360 game and optimize it for a PS3 game, I think that is going to help them immensely. But um, I think right now, people are just going to program target for the, the 360, get it out for that one, and then spend the extra month, two months, three months, or how long it takes to translate that for the PS3. In that three-month period, they could be starting work on another game. Yeah, well, they might. I don't know how much of, a, of an issue is, or I think part of it would be a manpower issue. If you had enough manpower, you could develop everything at the same time, and it wouldn't really be that big of an issue. Right, but manpower equals money. Yeah. As far as the tools go, I, from what I've heard, the, the tools aren't bad to use. It's just getting used to the fact that you're dealing with six cores instead of three cores that's on the, the 360. Is it six or seven that's on the cell? No, I, think uh, I thought it was six. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was six or seven. But either way, when you're programming for that many cores, it's going to be a little bit more of a learning curve compared to what you're doing on a 360 or even a Wii. Hmm. So, Either way, this is a shot off the bow of the biggest game developer in the world saying, this is what we would like, will you help us out? Um, the big question is, what is Sony's response? And I guess we'll, we're going to have to wait, for, wait and see for this one. Um, and also, if there's any kind of piling on uh, from other developers. Yeah, I, I would I would say if they were going to announce any kind of a price cut, they would have done it at E3, although I, th- I think the Tokyo Game Show is coming up, so maybe they'll announce something there. But I guess we'll have to wait and see. But somebody who doesn't have to wait and see is Jamie Thomas, because apparently Uri's back, and they have awarded the RIAA nearly $2 million. Yeah, of her money that she doesn't have. Um, they bumped up the penalty from the $9,250 per song to $80,000 per song. Yeah, this is what gets me about this law that they going on. What was it? I think it was last year. No, maybe it was the year before that they essentially bumped up all of the um, fees and stuff or up the penalties for when you're doing when you're infringing copyright law whereas I don't remember what the lowest amount of fee is if you're infringing it, but if you're willfully infringing it, you can get fined up to $150,000 per instance. So I guess you could kind of say she got off easy, but still $80,000 per song for 24 songs is... I would I would say that fits the definition of cruel and unusual punishment, and I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw this thrown out for that reason. Yeah, I wonder how long, or how, if you're talking about the production of the song, mm-hmm. um, like renting, um, you know, a studio, mm-hmm. uh, having someone come in and actually sing the song, mm-hmm. if it would be $80,000. Mm. For $80,000, she could have flown in the group to sing the whole entire album, let alone the song, for $80,000. Yeah. So that seems gross, gross gross overestimation of the value of each one of those songs. Yeah, well, um, who knows how many of those songs actually made $80,000 a piece anyway. Especially mm-hmm. when you're 
99 cents or whatever on iTunes or even cheaper than that off of Amazon's MP3 store. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to something like this, it, they should be 99 cents per song infringed and be done with it, not $80,000 per song. Yeah. It, and also they found jur- uh, a jury that has never downloaded a song in their life, so um, that, that would also point to the tech savviness of a, of a juror. Yeah, well, I th- it seems like they did that last time, too. But last time, the original case was thrown out because the judge gave some bad jury instructions. Apparently, he took some advice from the RIAA when they submitted their idea for the jury instructions and that if that making available constituted... or making a file available for download on a peer-to-peer network or whatever constituted infringement, well... After the trial was all said and done, the judge decided, wait, that's not right. So he threw out the whole thing, Mm -hmm. and now we have this. But I'm sure that'll probably get appealed based on how large the um, fine was. So I have a feeling we're going to be in for round three of this here real soon. Yeah, this is going to stay around forever until she wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'm kind of... Curious to see which case gets settled first, this one or the Pirate Bay case. <laughs> well, um, this one's in the United States, so I think this one is more apt to be perpetual in the in the U.S. system than an overseas where uh, the amount of their appeal, appeals are are limited. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I saw the other day where apparently now the German Parliament has its own or. I don't know if it was in, either in the German German Parliament or one of their representatives to the EU has jumped ship of whatever party he was on and has joined on with the Pirate Party. Ooh, R. <laughs> uh, I was kind of surprised by that. Apparently, it all had to do around some law that was brought about, and apparently, it pissed the guy off. So now he went off and joined the Pirate Party. Oh well, apparently um, they've been boarded. Yeah, I'd say so. But. Anyway, speaking of laws and cracking down on stuff, apparently the FTC is looking to crack down on undisclosed sponsored blogging. Yeah, this story really confused me. I I can't believe that's actually something that's going to be legislated. Well, it seems like this is something that may already um, be law that they may not just have never really cracked down on it. Basically, this is kind of going after, like, the pay-per-post stuff. Like, if you ever used paperpost.com, although I think now it's called, um... Rever? No, I'm trying to th- no. I'm trying to think of it. Actually, I am technically a part of it for the Global Geek News blog. I've never used it. I never intend to use it. It was just something I investigated in the early days for possible, like, reviewing products and stuff. Although now... Yeah, you're young and you need the money. Yeah. Well... <laughs> And apparently now it's part of their terms of service that you have to disclose that these are paid blog posts and everything, which is part of the reason I decided never to mess with it. But uh, now it's going to bug me the name of that, and I'm going to Google that. Uh, but this this reminds me of when you're watching a TV show like, um, let's say, 24, mm-hmm. and they're driving Ford vehicles and they're using Nokia fo- phones... 
and they don't disclose that this this is product placement. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like this is. I personally, I thought this is kind of obvious, and it seems like every one of these paper post thing services that I've come across, which I believe the I looked it up, and the name of it is Isia, apparently. Oh yeah. But. You can still find it at paperpost.com. But I think every time I've ever seen these, it's usually that one part of the terms of agreement is that you have to say that you're... that you have to just somehow disclose that you're being paid to do this review, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. So, I don't know what the real issue here is, unless if it's companies that are going to bloggers directly and saying... Here, review this for us, and uh, no mention of us, or something like that. Yeah, even still, I mean, that goes down to the integrity of a person. Mm-hmm. And if they they're found out, then they lose their integrity, and people look at something else. If someone's single sourcing their reviews, I mean, what reviews they read, I think that in itself is not the smartest thing to do. If if you only go to one site for a review on one product, then you're not getting a a, a balanced you know, a, a balanced, uh, diverse take on any one product. It's like going to a website and only reading the positive comments mm-hmm. instead of reading all the comments. I don't think this is, some, this is something that should be legislated. I mean, how big of a problem is this? I mean, are, are people losing hundreds and billions of dollars over this problem of sponsored blogging? No. And, and you know, just like going watching an infomercial, watching an infomercial and having talk about how good a product is mm-hmm. is the same as this you, you when you're watching an infomercial you can say wow this is overly positive of course this isn't real even though something's from the senior network or the product advocacy testing symposium and you're watching an infomercial and you got to take everything with a grain of salt yeah well i think it's essentially all about integrity and no matter what you pretty much everybody has sites where they where they trust the reviews of products. And yeah, there's been um, times in the past where certain companies have paid people to put reviews on places like Amazon or Newegg or whatever, and then it was found out, turned into a big scandal, whatever. But I think that everybody still has sites that where they get reviews from and that they know that no matter what, they still trust these people. Like Extreme Tech, which was owned by Ziff Davis, which apparently, I guess, over the weekend, they announced that it's being shut down, which that's... When it comes to computer hardware, I would say that's probably the main place I go for reviews. So that made me very sad. But the, in the end, there's still places like that are trustworthy, like Tom's Hire, Tom's Hardware and Anontech and, and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think as, as long as you can find some place that you trust, I, I think that's all that really matters. Right. And even if you trust them, you're going to go to multiple places mm-hmm. to read the review. Yeah. Um, like when the iPhone came out, someone wrote a review. Are you just going to say, oh, well, I went to that one website and uh, now I know everything there is about the iPhone? No. You read everything you can to choose uh, what, uh, what what you think about or what other people think. And people are as diverse as their websites. You need to talk to multiple people to get a, 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 better, a bigger picture. Of, of where things stand. Yeah, normal. 
there's very few instances where I'll trust just a single place. Normally I'll go through multiple different places, check out reviews on Amazon, on Newegg, and go to a number of different blogs and stuff. There, there's only a couple of sites, Extreme Tech being one of them, that if I just saw a review only there, I would be okay with it and would be willing to make my purchasing decision just from that. Right. Because you built up a trust. Right. But if they con- consistently took money for a post, mm-hmm. then you would lose that trust over time. And so I think it's the same thing. I think this was something that will work its- itself out and doesn't need a law. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the whole issue. What was it? I think we talked about it. it was either last week or the week before with uh, Leo Laporte and Mike Arrington and the whole palm yeah. tree blow up on the Gilmore gang, which, which right. I assume that video is still up on YouTube, or if you go to TechCrunch and search for the post name, ouch, I believe it's still on there. So, but, yeah, that, that's kind of been the big funny thing that's gone around the community about basically this topic in particular. Yeah, I've never heard "screw you" in so many different podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's kind of funny. It's like every time I turn on Twit now, everybody's saying "screw you" to each other. <laughs> but yeah, oh wow, we're actually at our last story already. Um, apparently, Comcast has decided to go ahead and start um, bringing out IPv6 to residents in the U.S. later on this year and next year. Yeah, uh, the biggest thing is that it's a huge money sink because IPv6 um, is not just a protocol change, it's a hardware change. Um, I know for years Cisco has been selling a lot of equipment that's deemed IP6 ready, mm-hmm. um, but the, some of the, the higher end like director class switches, I mean those are expensive to switch out. Mm-hmm. So unless it breaks, uh, most people aren't replacing it with IP6, IPv6. Um, ready stuff until something breaks. They're, they're not proactively buying equipment just to have it and to replace equipment that works perfectly. Yeah, well, on the consumer end, I think a lot of people already have IPv6-enabled routers and whatnot. I don't know about the modems, if they'll have to switch out a lot of the cable modems, but at least for Comcast customers, that's going to be coming down the pipes anyway for when they roll out Doxus 3. I know you have to get a new modem for that, which... Hello, Comcast. I'm still waiting for that. Um, but yeah, I've got a Linksys router sitting on my bed that I I don't know how many years I've been running it, and it's had IPv6 capability in it. But the real issue for me is a lot of legacy software and stuff. I don't know if it's even possible to work with a lot of this stuff. I mean, if you're looking at older games like an Age of Empires or an old Command and Conquer game or something like that where you used an IP address to connect and you and it used an IPv4 address essentially you as best as I can understand it you won't be able to use those anymore because they don't accept IPv6 addresses and they're so old that none of the companies are going to care to go back and fix it yeah that's it's it is a dramatic shift and uh, a lot of devices are going to have to be thrown away, um, which is kind of like the DTV transition. There's going to be a lot of e-waste around this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is a huge shift, but I'm glad to see that someone is at least uh, going through the the pains of, of, of implementing this. Yeah, for a while now it's kind of been who's going to be the first person to actually step up and do this because with IPv4 addresses, 
there's only there's not even two years left worth of addresses, so somebody had to step up sooner or later. And if I recall, I think Comcast is the largest ISP in the country, or at least they're the largest cable ISP. So for them to do this and start to roll this out, which it seems like it, it's like apparently it's like on a trial basis and kind of slowly moving people over to it, which, so I'm guessing at least at first it's not going to be forced on you, it's going to be um, kind of a, whoever wants to volunteer and do it gets to have an IPv6 address first kind of a deal, but with them doing that and if they were to get all their custom IPv4, if anything that would breathe a little bit more life into IPv4 because it would free up millions of addresses. Yeah, it would be nice if uh, the new high-speed solutions that are coming um, in the future, like LTE and WiMAX, if they would just make it mandatory to be IP, IPv, IPv6 compatible. Um, they probably are, but um, maybe force it so that you only have or only can. I mean, most of it, if it's through a telco, it, it's going to be a closed system anyway. So. Yeah. Maybe that's a way to, to force people on. Like as people move over to the higher speed, they automatically get graduated to IPv6. Well, the way I think of it is, I think that it should all be that by default anybody, especially if you're a new person on the provider or whatever, the default should be IPv6. Just so you're relieving some of the pressure off IPv4, but at the same time allow customers for free to still have access to IPv4 so that they can um, implement this stuff at a later, or so that they can have it, that it's still backwards compatible with some of their older software if they need it. Yeah, uh, there's there's going to be some bridge devices at least. Um, there's got to be a way to, 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 you know, an internet connection is an internet connection, so there could be uh, non-graceful ways to be an intermediary between the two. But I, I'm sure there's going to be a way to make sure that um, our both our, our old legacy devices, at least in some respect, are going to be able to be taken care of. Yeah. Well, apparently there's a story I missed. I don't know. Apparently I clicked the wrong slash dot story and thought I was on the end story. But speaking of ISPs, apparently there's a bill. I think this is from a like. Uh, congressman and I think Pennsylvania, if I Pennsylvania or New York, something like that, that has a bill ready to go for to give the I believe it's the FTC the ability to um, ban caps, bandwidth caps for, on from the ISPs. Right. From from I have to look at this from both sides. As a consumer, I don't want bans. Mm-hmm. I think bans are uh, uh, sorry, not bans, but. Uh, uh, caps. I think caps are stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think that everything should be unlimited. Um, extra use is basically nominal to the provider, and so I, th- I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but as someone looking at the business side, it, it would. I don't think that there should be regulation on that. I think if an ISP wants to shoot themselves in the foot by forcing down bands, uh, or sorry, caps. Um, that won't work for their users, um, that their users should uh, be able to leave them and go to another company that won't do the same. Yeah, well, I think this is... The fault lies on two different things here. One, I think it's 
pretty much Time Warner's fault because they were the one wanting to implement 40 gigabyte and smaller caps everywhere. And the second being the fact that there's just not a whole lot of competition in a lot of places. Because a lot of places I know here, we the city has an exclusive contract with Comcast, and the closest thing that we got besides that is Quest DSL, which is only 1.5 megabits. And so the only real um, option you have if you want speed is Comcast, and that's it. And I, I think that if there was more competition, I think that this wouldn't really be an issue. But there's a couple different things that this indicates. And yeah, you may be able to get rid of caps, which is a great thing. But but if you're on someone like Comcast who has a, a request to have 250 gigabyte caps, that's, the cap's not really a big deal for you unless you're just absolutely watching Hulu 24 hours a day. Um, actually, and But at the same time, with the fact that they're treating this like a utility, it essentially opens it up so that these people so that the ISPs can essentially charge per gigabyte or per megabyte since they aren't, aren't allowed to do caps. But then we, we're talking about new business models that are going to be formed over and are going to have to work around these caps like we were talking about digital distribution mm-hmm. and the death of Blu-ray movies. Let's say that you have a console and you want to go ahead and queue up four or five movies to watch, you know, through the month mm-hmm. and you know it's going to take a while to download so you set them all to queue up and uh, while you, while those are downloading you download uh, uh, a game for your Xbox 720 and you start playing that and then the next day you watch your first Blu-ray movie then the next one and then the next as it, and then you know before you're done with that scenario you're over your caps and that's not even including you know checking your email watching Hulu or um or uploading uh, your podcast. Yeah. Well, essentially, I, th- I think it's going to change from the ISPs determining the caps to your wallet determining the caps if they go through with this, I think. Mm-hmm. Which, sure. I don't know, that could be good, that could be bad, depending on just kind of how the pricing is. If it's if things turn out to be cheaper, then, then cool. But if this makes it more expensive, then that's not real wonderful either. So, I don't know, it, it kind of go either way, I'm not, and just based on that fact, I'm not sure if I necessarily support this, although if this ban on caps includes um, things like date, cell phone data cards and stuff like that, I could get on board with that, just because those caps are 5 gigs a month, and if you're paying $60 a month for those things, that seems a little, 5 gigabytes, a 5 gig cap seems a little unreasonable to me. Yeah. And uh, it might be that people will have both. Um, they'll have their their hardwired cable at home, and um, once they go over their cap, they might tether their cell phone or have a little MiFi or do a little uh, USB uh, card adapter and use that for the rest of the month and then switch out. Yeah, well, this will be interesting to see. I'm actually kind of curious to see when this happens to go through or if it happens to go through or whatever so hopefully we'll see some traction on this soon just to kind of see how things play out so I'm certainly curious to see where the ISPs sit on this if they're if they have a new business model ready to go in case this goes through or if they're gonna fight this every way they can or 
whatever they're going to try and do to gouge the customer, essentially. Yeah, what law I want to see pass is the one where we're paying a subsidy uh, or the government is to these ISPs to help build out their network to help provide uh, faster speeds. And uh, I don't think we're seeing that. I don't think our money is uh, going where it needs to go. Yeah. Speaking of which, I thought I saw earlier today that um, speeds on Fios went up from, I think, for the cheapest one going from 10 to 15 uh, megabits per second. So if you're lucky enough to have Fios, good for you. For the rest of us, we envy you. Yes. Uh, Anyway, I suppose that apparently that's all the stories we have for tonight, and we're actually right at an hour right now, so probably go ahead and wrap things up. Um, uh, seems like there's something I was supposed to announce. Oh, yes. Um, I was thinking earlier this, or over the weekend, about trying to get the, putting the show up on YouTube to get more of a larger audience. Well, I happened to look into that and find out that apparently YouTube has a 10-minute cap that I can't seem to get around, no matter how much I try. So... I'm, I've decided to go back to my idea that I had a long time ago that I planned on doing, which was the video segment. Having preferably a daily segment on the blog, which I don't know if this is going to um, replace my longer blog posts or not. Probably not, just because um, video isn't quite as search engine optimization type friendly. But anyway, it's basically uh, hopefully like a five or six segment five or six minute segment every day where basically I rant on whatever topic I feel like. And essentially it's going to be a way for me to promote the blog, both the blog and the podcast. So hopefully I'll get that running maybe later on this week. I don't know. I've I've never done any video editing, editing before, so I've got to play around with this a little bit and see exactly how I want it to turn out. But I'm sure the rough, the first few episodes are going to be a little on the rough side compared to where I hope it to go in the near future. But anyway, don't forget to check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog, where this will all eventually show up, as well as all the other posts I do there. I didn't get a chance to do much last week. I've got several ideas for posts for this week, so there should be plenty coming tomorrow and the rest of the week. And I think that's it in terms of the announcements I want to cover right now. I've got some more things in the works, but nothing I feel like announcing just yet. Anyway, I think that's pretty much about everything. Um, If you have any feedback, suggestions, especially for the video that that I just discussed, shoot me an email on that, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com, or just say something in the comments, which is at globalgeeknews.com, which is where the show notes are as well. Um, and of course, follow me on Twitter, PCNerd37, on there. And if you happen to follow me from here, let me know. And you're also welcome to shoot me some feedback on there as well. And you are Wesley83 on Twitter, correct? Yes, I'm Wesley83 on Twitter. And if you're following me from the show, uh, do not send any compliments, do not send any accolades, only send criticism. That's always good, too. Yeah, just just totally tell me everything that I'm doing wrong. That's what I want. Yeah, do that to me too. I get I get enough people that it's like we enjoy the show, didn't necessarily understand it. Good show, but in the end, that's not very helpful. I I I enjoy getting 
people that tell me they like the show, but at the same time, it doesn't help me improve. So yeah, I'm not even I'm not even looking for constructive criticism. I want people to tell me, Wesley, you suck. I hate you, and I will not listen to the show until you're off of it. That's what I want. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I guess that's it for this week. And um, sorry I didn't get uh, the last episode out until Saturday. Last week was a bit of a hectic week. Hopefully this week will be a little bit better. I'll either get it up tonight or tomorrow. I think ideally I want to shoot for a release date of Tuesday evenings for all future episodes. So anyway, that's what we have for this week. So don't forget to check us out next week. And don't forget to tell all of your friends, family, and everybody else in the world about the show. For Geek News Daily, I am Jeremy Bray, better known as BCNerd37, and we will see you next time.